Hello, this is In Your Nature Podcast with me, Ricky Whelan. And with me, Niall Hatch, here for a special Christmas edition of the podcast. We're really looking forward to this. Uh, just to start by saying, In Your Nature is made in partnership with the Heritage Offices of Leash and Offaly County Councils, with the support of the Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage, the National Biodiversity Action Plan and the Heritage Council. And this podcast is edited by Anne-Marie Kelly. So, it's the lead up to Christmas. Very exciting to be back. I'm delighted. After a long, uh, a long delay, should we say, we've had our reasons. We're like Michael Bublé. We're, we're back out at Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Getting the band back together, uh, playing the greatest hits. No, really looking forward to this. You know, it's uh, it's great to be doing this again. Great to be chatting to you again, Ricky, about this. And what better time of year? Because this is the time when people, I think, start to notice birds more than any other time of the year. No, totally. People are at home, milling around. It's cold again. Birds are returning back to the garden. So it's a really good time to be chatting about birds again. So specifically, and this is our Christmas special, so we better hang it on something. I want to talk to you about the 12 days of Christmas. Because yes. that famous song is six of those days, half of those days are depicted by birds. Why? Tell me, tell me about it. I know, I know you've taught a little bit about this. It's a, it's a Christmas song that, uh, that everybody knows. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting as well because it's one of the, 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 the few sort of old-fashioned Christmas songs that isn't religious or in theme. It's, it's all about giving gifts and, and so on. And it seems to resonate with people. People would be surprised. It goes back, I think, to about 1780. So it's wow. quite an old song. But I think what it shows is that because so many of the gifts that are given are, are, are birds, it just shows how important they were in commerce and as symbols of fidelity and friendship and all these different things that happened. Um, so I, I just found it really fascinating. And I remember um, a couple of years ago, I was asked by RTE to do sort of a, a breakdown for uh, what, what, what these birds are and why they're in the song. So I dug into it a little bit and it's actually really, really fascinating where it all comes from and how it's full. Of, there's, there's mistakes in there, there's mistranslations from the French and that's why we have some, some weird things going on. Gotcha. So I suppose we, we, we can run through it a bit. I won't, go, I won't be singing the song or anything like that. So the first one mentioned is a partridge in a pear tree. What's the crack there? Are we talking about grey partridge? What are we talking about there? We are talking about grey partridge and this is uh, one of the funniest things of all about this song because it's, it's based on a mistranslation from the old French. So there are actually two different species of partridge mentioned in the song The Twelve Days of Christmas. Uh, so uh, one of them we have, of course, we have our three French hens. So to talk about them first, you have three French hens. French hen is uh, an old name for the red-legged partridge. So the French, the French hen is the red-legged partridge. This is a very popular uh, game bird on the continent particularly in France where the song originated uh, and it was introduced into England as well where it's, it's a widely hunted species there now as well so that is a specific type of partridge so that's where our, our three French hens come from now if you go to the partridge in a pear tree that is supposed to be the different type of partridge the, the, the one we have native here to Ireland the grey partridge uh, Lockborough of course being the, the prime place in Ireland to see those now thanks to the, the, the reintroduction campaign that's been going on there and what it was to, to separate that from the red-legged partridge it was known in French. It was called uh, it was called une perdrie. That's still the, the French name today. Ah. Forgive my terrible French accent there. And what happened was when when French is is sung, very often the silent letters at the end of words are pronounced as separate syllables. So une becomes une sometimes when singing. So they would sing in in English. It was sung as a partridge une perdrie to specify what kind of partridge they meant. And this, over time, the meaning became lost. This became gibberish and just became you know, corrupted what would make sense. So it became in a pear tree. So that's where that comes from. Wow. Um, so, yeah, you'll never see a partridge in a pear tree. Um, no. Unless something gone very wrong. I'm yet um, to. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting. So, yeah, two, two different partridges in there, which I found was quite fascinating. Two turtle doves are the next ones mentioned. And 
unfortunately, uh, turtle doves are a thing of the past in Ireland and on the brink in Britain. And But back then, they would have been falling out of the trees. So what did you find out about that? So so the, the turtle dove has, has long been a symbol of love and fidelity. So if someone's true love wants to give them a, a very meaningful gift, I suppose, to, to, to prove their, their faithfulness, a pair of turtle doves is what would be done because they're, 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 the pairs stay together for life. They do all of this uh, preening each other. They're called preening. It looks like they're kissing, though, and all of this um, billing and cooing that they do around each other. So they were seen as being a real real symbols of love and of fidelity. And that's why they would be um, such a, a sort of a romantic gift around around Christmas time. It, it's a, it's a it's a bird that people would have known well uh, because uh, because of this association that would have been kept quite commonly in captivity. And as you said, it used to be a more widespread bird bred here in Ireland, but in, in England, and especially in France, where the song originated, it, it was quite a common bird. Uh, unfortunately, because of mainly agricultural changes and things like climate change too, and illegal hunting in the Mediterranean, the turtle dove is in serious trouble now. It's 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 long since to be a breeder, since it's long since uh, been, a, I'm sorry, it's long since gone extinct as a breeder here in Ireland. And it's very much on the way out now in England as well. French population is, is, is dramatically going down. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. A bird that when the song was, was, was written or first sung in around uh, 1780, a very common well-known species. Today, people don't know it. Um, and in case anyone's wondering why they're called turtle doves, by the way, it's the bird's call. They make a sort of a tur tur kind of a purring noise and it was almost sounded like it was saying turtle. So that's why they're called turtle doves. I always thought it was to do with kind of like the, uh, the pattern of the wings is kind of looks like scalloped, like... Um a turtle shell, yeah, that's interesting. It does, yeah, yeah it does. It, 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 it's, and a lot of people think that, and it's, so it'd be very apt from that point of uh, point of view too. But it actually apparently is based on the call originally. Aye. Very interesting. God, what else have we got? We've got three French hens. You mentioned those. Those are the partridge. The, the red-legged partridge, yes. Yeah. So two different partridges in the song. Then I suppose then we have the four calling birds. Mm. And this, on the face of it, this might seem like a really straightforward one, um, an easy one to describe birds that are calling. But in fact, that's another corruption. That wasn't what the, the lyrics were originally. In the original version, it's four collie birds, um, which was sort of a, an English slang or term meaning coal-coloured. So jet black birds. There were blackbirds. That's what the blackbird was ah. known as. So the four calling birds are actually four collie birds, four blackbirds. And blackbirds would have been commonly caught and eaten and all that sort of stuff for pies. And They still are in parts of the world too. Uh, you know, it, it's obviously something that we, we're not going to encourage. It would be illegal, of no. course, here now. Uh, but apparently uh, blackbirds and other members of the thrush family are apparently quite tasty and they are still hunted in parts of Europe. Uh, and of course, famously, they're around having four and 20 of them in a, in a pie. Um, so, oh, well, you're, at least you're partway there with your four calling birds there for, for the 12 days of Christmas. Excellent. And then we've got two kind of... I suppose, of the bigger species mentioned, which people would certainly associate geese with Christmas. We've got seven swans are swimming as well. So can you explain those? Yep, yeah, so obviously with the six geese are laying, seven swans are swimming. These are two species that were very economically important at the time and still are to a degree. So the, the geese, to take them first, they would almost certainly have been domesticated grey lag geese. Here in Ireland, we still get uh, wild populations of grey lag geese migrating to us from their breeding grounds in Iceland. There's not a huge population of those in Ireland, but we do have uh, we do have a few of them dotted around the country. A few different flocks come in, and then there are also feral populations of uh, of grey like geese in Ireland too that stay with us year round, and they are basically the descendants of domesticated birds that have reverted back to a wild state. Uh, so this is a, this is a bird that has long been domesticated. We know going back to the times of ancient Rome, grey like geese were very important um, birds to the to, to the people in ancient Rome. They kept them for their meat, they kept them for their eggs, and they also kept them for as, almost as guard dogs because they uh, they were very um, perceptive and aggressive 
aggressive towards intruders, so they'd actually make a lot of noise when, when people came along. So these were valuable birds. Uh, and of course, if there were six geese a laying, uh, as they are in the song, then what would happen is, of course, they would produce these big eggs. They would be, obviously, a very useful source of food. And then I suppose when their laying days were over, you could then just eat the goose. So the goose would be cooked. Uh, so that's what happened. And of course, yeah, the association with Christmas, of course, long before we were eating turkey or people in Europe were eating turkey uh, for, for Christmas, they are eating goose. Because, of course, the turkey is a species that's from North America. It was never found in Europe until, until uh, the discovery of the New World by Europeans. So that happened there. And then the swans are swimming. They would almost certainly have been mute swans because mute swans, it might be hard to believe this today, but they were also a domesticated species. That's a bird that was widely kept in captivity. Again, there's a lot of meat in a swan. You'd feed a, you'd feed a family for a long time imagine, leftovers yeah. from your, your Christmas dinner if it was a swan. And they would lay eggs as well too. Um, so obviously that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, these, these are birds now just found in the wild, but they were widely domesticated and would have been well known as a domestic fowl. So that's, uh, that's, that's, that's the story, I suppose, of the, of the, the birds of the 12 days of Christmas. I suppose then in, in the five gold rings might come in handy for for. for bird ringers to keep track of some of these birds they have that many knocking around so maybe that's yeah, what they were tenuous for, you know? link <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely fascinating because i actually really don't like that song but now i think i have a new appreciation for it so brilliant now thanks you found some really interesting stuff there yeah it, it, it's interesting how the yeah the mistranslations and the corruptions over the years just totally changed the meaning yeah and the fact that people sing a partridge in a pear tree without thinking there's, there's anything weird about that I, i've never seen a partridge in a tree i don't think they're even capable of it so um yeah that's pretty interesting all right. not, no it's gas well, for me, there's only one bird associated with Christmas, and it's the robin. And I don't think anyone would argue with this. There, I think um, they're just they're on all the all the, the Christmas cards, on all the literature, on the TV ads, on you know. There's been a long association with the robin with Christmas. So, what's your what's your take on that, or what's your favorite theory? Or? Yeah, it's 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 kind of strange that that bird isn't mentioned in the in the Twelve Days of Christmas because it is the most quint- quintessentially Christmassy bird, uh, and that association. There's there's various different. Um, theories behind why that is. I think one of them is that here in Ireland and in Britain, where and a lot of our Christmas traditions come from Victorian Britain, uh, this is the robin is a bird that would still be very visible around Christmas time. So uh, it's one of the few birds we have that sings in all 12 months of the year. So if you hear a bird singing on Christmas Day, it's a good chance it's going to be a robin because the other birds are silent. They only really sing in the spring and the summer. But a robin keeps a territory all year round. Obviously, they're very colourful. They're very festive. They're very much associated with holly as well, which is an ancient association with Christmas time, even dating, predating Christianity, actually, with Yule festivals there's this association with holly and ivy and the birds uh, the, the robin as a bird is associated with those plants but a lot of it actually dates to the very early days of Christmas cards back in Victorian Britain um, the uh, the postmen the, the royal mail workers there they wore red coats red jackets and they were known colloquially as robins by people because they had a red breast like the bird and so for the very first Christmas card obviously the royal mail wanted to wanted to in- increase sales and wanted to start this tradition of having people sending hundreds of cards through the post and buying stamps so they produced their Christmas cards and one of the very first designs um, to honour the fact that the postmen were known as Robins was of a ro- picture of a Robin on the card. It wasn't the very first Christmas card but it was one of the very early ones and it's the one that really caught on. So that association kept. But it's interesting because we very much associate Robins with Christmas but it's not the same across much of the rest of Europe. Um, it's a tradition that's been picked up from, from Victorian Britain in some countries but in a lot of Eastern Europe where those traditions never really took hold. It's a totally different bird that's associated with Christmas. So if you look in places like Russia and Poland, uh, Finland, countries like that, the birds that are often on Christmas cards there are actually bullfinches rather than, yeah. than robins. And there's a very good reason for that because in those countries it gets a lot colder than it does here in the winter and their robins are migratory. They leave. There aren't any around in the winter, but you do have the bullfinch. They stay around. And in, in Russian, the name even translates as snowbird. It's very much associated with cold, um, wintry weather. The male has this lovely pinkish red breast as well. It's a very striking bird, especially against a snowy 
backdrop. So for much of Europe, actually, the bullfinch is the Christmas bird rather than the robin. That's that's very interesting. There's also two um, stories, two Christian stories, which I wonder if it made it resonate in sort of Ireland back in the day. There's two stories about the robin, how it got its red breast, and there's one that links it directly to the sort of the manger when Jesus was born. So the first one was, um, well, people will probably have known is that, a robin was said to pluck a thorn from Jesus's head when he was on the cross. And that's how he got his red breast. So the robin has always been sort of associated with Jesus and being there. And apparently he sang to sue Jesus' pain and all that sort of stuff. And I kind of thought this is weird. I think there's no robins in Israel or uh, Judea or whatever it would have been at the time. So I looked into it. But they are, they are migratory and they're in quite numbers. Um, so they would have been there during Jesus' time and, and all that sort of stuff. And the other one is apparently... And this story makes Mary out to be a terrible yo, terrible mother altogether. She was only getting going. Apparently, a robin got between the fire and baby Jesus' face on the night of he was born when Mary was distracted by the innkeeper's wife. And um, he got his um, breast all um, scorched. And that's how he got his red breast. So I wonder um, if there's a long Christian link to, to the robin around Christmas and the birth of Jesus as well. And um I think from my own family's point of view, and it's definitely a very Midlands thing, and I think an Irish thing, we uh, we all we obviously remember our our, uh, our loved ones around mm. Christmas, and the robin is is very um, very closely linked to death in, in Ireland and in folklore. Oh, very much so. Yes, it has, it has a, a strong place in Irish tradition, and you know a lot of people you know when they see a robin um, coming, they 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 you know believe it's it's a, a departed loved one visiting them or keeping an eye on them or, or a messenger from heaven perhaps talking to them. And so th- I think that this this tradition goes back a long way. Uh, I think as well with, with robins too, they are among the most trusting of birds around humans. They do tend to approach us uh, in a way that other birds don't. And we humans, of course, always we all want to be loved, so we like to associate that. I think that the robin's being friendly, it's being nice. In fact, it sees us more or less as an easy meal ticket. It realizes that other creatures, other birds, aren't so so um, willing to come close to humans. So if we're around, they can stay close to us and they can take food that's near us that the other birds are too frightened to get. That's one of the theories behind why they're so tame around humans. Um, but, you know, if people want to think that they like them, so be it. Uh, I think with some of those uh, those sort of Christian stories. In some ways, I think some of those are sort of retrofitting the idea of the Robin Association with Christmas and trying to fit it in. And people tell these little stories. Obviously, there's no um, the, the, there's no basis for these stories in the Bible itself. So there's, there's something that's, that's uh, arisen uh, later. Um, but you know, they, they are nice stories. They do they do uh, resonate with people. And I suppose if anything anything that makes people love robins and love birds more, I'm all for it. Absolutely. But robins, like I mean, they're absolute weapons. They like people think they're like lovely, gentle little winter creatures. The, like I'm just watching my feeders here now and there's one bully and everything off it they're, they keep a winter territory they're very aggressive yeah, yeah, I think that uh, often people, they, they feel very upset when they realise that actually all the birds aren't friends. I think it's something, something you often see in kids' books. I remember when I was a kid, at least, you know, but all, all the woodland creatures are friends, look out for each other. That's not the way nature works. It's, it's every creature for him or herself. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you see the robin bullying the other birds off the feeders, of course, it doesn't care if those blue tits or those blackbirds or whatever die. Even better if they do, as far as the robin's concerned, because then more food for him. Uh, so, yeah, it's all about survival of the fittest and making sure that they survive. And during the breeding season, that their offspring survive as well. It's very, very selfish really so perhaps not the uh, the most uh, Christmassy of birds in terms of its temperament it's not it's not full of peace and goodwill to all birds uh, but yeah I think people are often surprised to find just how uh, how aggressive they can be towards other birds and also towards their own kind because if you think about it you don't see flocks of robins together the way you do say chaffinches at a feed or, or even blue tits they'll congregate together in a sort of a loose flock uh, robins no they, they'll uh, they'll fight to the death if they if, if, if they if they if they come too close to each other and um, so that's that's why they do all that singing because of course when they're singing as we mentioned 
mentioned about the Don Chorus in our previous programmes, what they're doing is they're fighting, they're shouting threats at each other and they're weighing up who's stronger, who's weaker, who'd win in the fight. And if their songs are evenly matched and it's a good, a nice territory with lots of food in it, they may come to blows over it and there'll only be one winner from that. We've mentioned it before, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing. Both the male and female will keep a winter territory and the female will sing, which is a real rarity in the bird world. It is, especially here in Europe. In the tropics, you do get quite a few female birds singing around the world, but here in Europe, it's quite rare. Um, and certainly the, 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 the most common and familiar bird that we have in Ireland where the, where the female and the male both sing would be, would be the robin. And it, that keeping a separate territory is, is, quite, uh, is quite unusual as well, in, in, in the wintertime especially, because most birds, that territorial instinct really only kicks in in the spring and summer. It's very much a breeding season thing. And out of that, you know, the, outside that, what happens is that the, the hormones that control that territoriality and that aggression, uh, usually testosterone in the males, actually that's what causes it uh, that subsides and they become much more um, easy to live with the other birds are much happier to be around and they, they, they're in company together in flocks but robins that never happens that aggression never goes away so they constantly have this hormonal um, push I suppose to defend this territory to watch out for other robins and it gets so extreme that sometimes they'll even react to a red handkerchief or a red cloth if it's in their territory wow. they um, you know they, they, they get that aggressive towards that red colour uh, and one thing that you know sometimes people will do and I encourage people please don't do this people will play the, the song of a robin or another bird to try and attract it closer thinking oh here's his friend he wants to come in oh look he's interested it's not he's, he's incensed they're, they're furious or with the robin he or she because the female is just as territorial as the male um, so we urge people please don't do that it causes a lot of stress to birds uh, and robins that that's a stress for them year round absolutely and they're they're super common i mean they're, they're in 99 over 99 percent of our gardens and our garden bird survey sort of uh, results show us that so it's um like if you're in a city town village wherever you can see robins so um no excuse get the feeders up and uh, get them into the garden they're good they're good little characters it's always one of the birds as well that I say to people when you know they're you know they've maybe never had an interest in birds or bird watching before. They don't know where to get started. They always say to me, "But I don't know any birds. I can't take part in the Irish Garden Bird Survey. I can't tell what any of the birds are." Well, you can. Everyone knows what a robin is. Everybody, you know, you can ask a two-year-old and they'll know what a robin is. And there's a few other birds that everyone know too. Everyone knows, let's say, a magpie. A lot of people would know a blackbird or a blue tit. Uh, you know, a lot of people would know a wood pigeon. And some of those are easy enough to learn. So what I always think about birds, the robin is a great benchmark because if you know the robin. If you see an unusual bird in your garden, you can think, well, okay, it was a little bit larger than a robin or slightly smaller than a robin or it had the red was a little bit different to the shade of a robin. Because a robin, actually, if you look at it, it's not like a blazing scarlet. It's almost an orangey-toned red. It's a, it's quite an interesting colour, really. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I think it's always a, a good sort of prototype bird for people to get interested in, in birds. And, of course, that then hopefully leads lots of people onto taking part in the Irish Garden Bird Survey, where, as you said, the robin consistently seems to be at number one in the table. Yeah, no, it's, they're, they're, they're lovely little things. Yeah, and people should. And the survey's going since late uh, in November, but you can start at any time, really. I think we need up to, is it a minimum of, of 10 weeks? Ideally, yes. I mean, all the data we get is, is, is really useful to us. And the, the survey runs right up until the end of February. Uh, so, uh, you know, even if you only get a couple of weeks in, give it a go. Why not? And then you can do the full thing again then next winter because, you know, it's going to be happening again next winter. We've done it for over 30 years now and it's not going anywhere. And the data we get from this, it's, it's so useful because it tells us a lot. You know, it, it's basically a snapshot of the, the status of the different birds across Ireland, Irish gardens uh, each winter. And you see some real winners and losers there. So we're seeing like the, the robin, for example, consistently throughout the whole survey for the last 30 
30 years. That has been an abundant and common bird in virtually every garden in the survey all across Ireland. So we can tell that that bird is doing well. There haven't been big changes. But I think that, you know, we've just put, uh, published uh, published the recently in, in Wings magazine, the Bird Charter Membership magazine. There's a wonderful article there by our colleague Brian Burke analysing the results from last winter's survey. One of the big shocks for me in that has seen the, been, uh, the decline in greenfinches. That species is going down and down and down. And when the survey started, that was a common abundant bird. Now it's absent from most gardens. This is really, really strange. And that's, this is because, um, most likely because of this nasty disease called trichomoniasis that's affecting them. They have their own pandemic. We're not the only ones. And this is hurting these greenfinches particularly badly. It's really good to be able to see those trends over time. And I know people often look out their sort of door in May or June time ago, the swallows have to return and they begin to panic. But you really don't know what's happening unless it's, it's spread out over a, a long period of time. So the Garden Bird Survey really allows us to do that with 30, 30 years data. We can we can tell what's happening with the greenfinches and we see where the greenfinches are going down. We see an explosion in goldfinches. Yes, they really do seem to be capitalising on that. And also one of the things that Brian seems to have found a link with as well is that linnets have been increasing in gardens. And his theory behind that, and I think it holds a lot of water, is that uh, greenfinches would normally be dominant over linnets. And as the greenfinches decline, this gives the linnets an opportunity to come in and take their places at the feeder, wow. which is quite interesting. So you see in the natural world, there's always winners and losers. So uh, while this disease might be very very bad news for the for the greenfinches. It seems to be quite good news for the linnets. Uh, and again, we wouldn't know this without this kind of data. And this is also why it's so important for us to monitor common bird species. A lot of people say to us, you know, well, I, you know, I'm sure bird return isn't interested in the common birds, or I'm sure you just only survey the really rare ones. Not at all. You can tell so much from surveying the common birds because, of course, they may not necessarily always be common. And we need to have that data there to show uh, how their trends are going. Uh, and you can tell a lot more sometimes from the common birds because there's so many more of them around that you notice those trends sooner. And also then there's more pairs of eyes out there, more people, volunteers taking part in the survey, identifying these common birds for sending us that data. I think that's really important. And one of the other things people often say to me as well when I ask them to do the Irish Garden Bird Survey is they say, oh, there's no point in me doing it. I hardly have any birds in my garden or I don't have any birds at all. That's exactly the data we need. Uh, you know, that, that, that's not bad data. That's excellent data. We need to have a, a true picture of what's going on around the country. Everyone can do it. Grannies, granddads, kids, everyone. It's, it's especially when you're around home at Christmas and all and it's, the weather's bleak and you can look out with the feeders and it's a bit of action in the garden. It's nice. Let's talk about looking after the garden birds over the winter because we've had a bit of a cold snap back a few weeks ago. Then it changed stormy weather last week. So they do need a little bit of uh, TLC and a bit of care. So what can we what can we do for them? Well, it's certainly something that people do notice when, when the when the weather gets cold, all of a sudden the birds flock in. And, you know, you've had the same experience as I've had for many years now. Usually around September, October, people will contact us and say, I've had no birds in my garden. I've had the food, the food out now for a couple of weeks. There's no birds at all. Are they all dead? Where have they all gone? And, you know, it's just patience because, you know, there's still plenty of natural food around at that stage. But as soon as the cold hits, those birds come into your garden. So I think I think when it comes to looking after them, variety is really the key. The more different kinds of food and feeder you have there, the, the wider the selection of different species you'll be able to accommodate. Um, so obviously there's some classic ones like peanuts. Um, peanuts in one of those wire mesh feeders, they work brilliantly. Uh, uh, things like uh, sunflower seeds. If you're looking for one type of seed to put out, sunflower seeds, is, is is the king it's really, yeah, really brian, brian brian seems to swear by sunflower seeds as well yeah yes he does he, yeah absolutely because they're really they're, they're full of energy i mean in the winter time what happens is birds need the calories that's the most important thing of all uh, they basically have to put on fat reserves every day to help them survive the, the winter nights because they're just burning their, their, their these fat reserves and they, and they can they can use up to 20 25 percent of their body weight and fat every night some tiny birds like like uh, like goldcrests for example uh, they weigh about the same as a 20 cent coin and they burn up to you know 20 percent of their their body weight and fat every night so they have to put all that back on 
So that's a that's a great way to to look after with sunflower seed. If you think about the you know sunflower oil, that's essentially you know that we cook with that that that's what's in sunflower seeds. So that's a lot of energy for those birds, high in calories. That's exactly what they need. Uh, suet as well. That's why suet is so good for birds too. That basically fat. Suet is fat from an animal's kidneys, and the reason we we recommend that is because it's hard at room temperature. It doesn't go melting or go rancid very easily. And the birds also won't get their feathers fouled up. They can't take a big chunks of it just a beak full at a time. But that's pure energy for those birds. Um, so that works is very it hard, well. Is too. it hard to find suet now? It is It is now, unfortunately, yeah. And it's one of the, the products that we used to sell very well through Bird of Ireland's shop. We've actually had to stop stocking it for the time being. And the culprit, unfortunately, is Brexit. Um, because it's an animal product, um, for us to import it from our suppliers in, in the UK, where some of our bird food comes from, um, their veterinary certificates are needed and that they're just prohibitively expensive for the quantities that we're ordering in. We're trying to source um, Irish sources of this, um, right. but uh, it's proven difficult. Um, so that's that's been a problem. Uh, hopefully we'll have it back uh, back on our shelves soon, but actually right now we don't have any, unfortunately. Um, but you can uh, get it yourself. If you, if, you, if you go to a butcher and ask for it, uh, it used to be something that was widely used in, at Christmas time in mince pies and in Christmas pudding, still is by many people. Um, but you can ask for a butcher if they have any of it. And when you get that, you can just melt it down put it into yogurt pots and um, perhaps or some sort of mold like that mix in some seed if you want things like that then hang it up um, on a string for birds and they, they 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 really go for it in big time they don't really care what shape it is they just want to eat it so um, yeah it's easily done yourself sounds perfect that's great so that's peanuts really high energy easily very easy to get get them cheaply enough as well and then there's sunflower hearts and another tip is you can buy them without the husks so they don't have sort of mountains of husk building up under the the bird feeders if you're if you keep a very tidy garden or whatever you can get the sort of uh the naked sunflower hearts if you like they're a bit they're a bit pricey a bit more pricey than peanuts i suppose but uh it's it's premium quality stuff yeah there's, there's absolutely zero waste with them because the birds eat every single scrap of them and what i found is um in actually my mum's garden what happens with sheep with the sunflower hearts that she puts out they attract in bullfinches now very regularly and that's a bird that can be quite hard to attract to a bird feeder they seem to love those sunflower hearts because their beaks are a little bit softer than those of the other finches so they're not so good at breaking open those hard husks but if they're pre-shelled for them they can just devour them and the robins love those as well in fact there's not many birds that won't eat those so yep yeah, i definitely would recommend those very very highly and then there's stuff like niger seed. Yes, niger seed. So that is sort of a very thin black seed. Sometimes people think it's a, a thistle seed. Sometimes it's sold as that. In fact, it's not. It looks like thistle seed, but it's actually from a plant that's native to, to Africa. It's, it's a member of the daisy family. Uh, and these seeds, though, they, they are very popular with the finches that like to eat thistle seeds. And the classic there, of course, is the goldfinch. Um, it's, it's super addictive to goldfinches. If you put up a niger feed, seed feeder in your garden, there's a very high probability that you'll get goldfinches coming in at some stage over the winter. And of course, then when they find it for the first time they'll be back time and time again because it's very rich in oil the seeds are very very small very very slender so you need a special feeder they won't a normal seed feeder won't do it's that the holes are too big you need a special niger seed feeder i did with a little tray below it to catch anything that would spill out uh, but those birds that have evolved uh, the, the finches particularly that have evolved sort of pointed tips to their beaks like uh, like the the goldfinch they they can manipulate those seeds very well they can eat them and a lot of the larger birds like uh, like pigeons and crows they won't bother with them because they're just too small to be to be messing around with and um, they're too much but for the small finches they really like them and then usually later in the winter what happens is another bird the siskin a really beautiful little member of the finch family that the males are this lovely greenish yellow color they'll come and they'll feed on those uh, on those niger seeds as well so i would definitely recommend those very highly uh, and then another thing to, to you can put out of course is fruit uh, fruit's a very good source of food uh, for birds apples particularly uh, so um i remember a few winters ago we had like real cold snap and there was thousands of field fairs and red wings these migratory thrushes and um, the, the uh, red wings mostly come to us from Iceland and uh, the field fairs come from Scandinavia and from Eastern Europe so they come into us for, just for the winter 
when the, when the ground was frozen, there's snow everywhere. These birds didn't realize that food on bird tables was edible. They just don't recognize this as being food. Uh, all birds have to learn this in a way. I suppose if you've never encountered a peanut before, it looks really bizarre. Um, so they, they, they were literally starving to death, even with food all around them. But the one thing they did recognize was apples, because in the wild, they'd be used to eating uh, eating crab apples. And when they you know, when they see a, a domestic eating apple, they think, well, that's, that's a large crab apple, which actually essentially is exactly what it is. So if you get some apples, spare them onto branches to put them on the lawn, that can be a real lifeline for these these winter thrushes in particularly harsh weather. And then another bird, the black cap, they go crazy for the apples as well. So if you want to get black caps in your garden, putting up an apple or two, that'll that'll give you a very good chance of seeing them. Yeah, I've had really good success with apples and black caps. It's really nice to see them around. They're a lovely, dainty little bird. And, and a bird that's starting to overwinter in Ireland now because of um, climate change, I guess. Well, th- th- there's a few theories behind this. Climate change may be playing a role, but it's actually really fascinating what they're what they're finding out about um, about our black caps because the black caps that we have. If you uh, going back, if you look at any like field guide to the birds of Ireland from you know let's say. 30 years or so ago, they will all say uh, that the black cap is strictly a summer visitor to Ireland. They migrate away down to, to the Mediterranean for the winter uh, and then they return again in the spring. And our core breeding population of black caps still does that. They still migrate. So these birds aren't overwintering in Ireland. What's actually happening is the black caps that we have here in the winter are a completely separate population. Yeah. Uh, it seems that they come, uh, rigging studies have shown us, they come from Central Europe. And it seems that what happened is probably through some sort of quirk, some some uh, mutation happened in a gene that controls migration. So they're getting too technical. When a lot of these birds migrate, people ask, how do birds know where to go on migration? Well, it's genetically controlled. And many birds, what they do is they fly uh, a preset distance in a pre set direction and these are controlled by genes uh, and uh, what happened it seems with the black caps is that they were flying the correct distance but in the wrong direction yeah. now if they were a long distance migrant like a willow warbler instead if they which heads to sub-saharan africa if they were to leave somewhere like germany or poland um, instead of going south they went west but went the correct distance by the time that little alarm clock went off and said time to stop they would be in the middle of the atlantic ocean no land they would die and therefore they wouldn't live to pass that gene on to the next generation it would die out with them the black cap is a shorter distance migrant. So what's happening is they were migrating the wrong direction. They went to Britain and to Ireland and then their little clock went off and said stop. Uh, and it just so happened there they were with land. It was Ireland and Britain. And then they saw, well, gardens are full of food. We can live here. We can eat here. And then what happened is they would feed and not only would they survive, they would thrive. They would do better than the black caps that did the right thing. And then they, these black caps in Ireland would return back to Central Europe. They'd get there a bit earlier than the other birds, the other black caps. They would feel fitter and stronger. Uh, they would get the best territories. They would have the best uh, best chance then of passing on their genes to the next generation in doing that they pass on the gene that showed the black caps to migrate the wrong direction and then over time what happens is the wrong direction becomes the right direction and that's evolution happening before our eyes evolution isn't something that just happened at the time of the dinosaurs it's not something that has stopped it's an ongoing process and through surveys like the irish garden bird survey we can see through the increase in uh, black cap numbers in the winters that yeah this is happening something is evolving in this population it's really fascinating stuff it's absolutely fascinating Anything else? Any more Christmas wishes or factoids? Or A couple of things to, to, to watch out for. There are certain species that very rarely come to bird tables, but we can still help in our gardens. And these are mostly the insectivorous birds, the ones that eat insects. So we have the, the goldcrest, we have the wren, the dunnock. Um, occasionally, the my, dunnock in my garden will come to the bird table. He usually p- picks up the scraps on the ground. Uh, the wren, I've never seen him actually at the bird table. The goldcrest, they don't do it either. Uh, the way you support those birds is that you make sure you have enough plants, especially native plants in your garden, that support the insects that those birds need to feed on. Yeah, uh, really and that also will provide cover for them throughout the, throughout the winter months. Because birds are amazing creatures. They can survive temperatures 
far worse than anything the Irish weather can ever throw at them, provided they have enough food. Um, so if they have food and shelter, they can go to easily minus 30. It's no, no problem for a bird like a wren, even though it's such a tiny little creature. But they do need to have that enough food to keep that furnace going inside them. Uh, so that's a, that's a, that's something I definitely recommend. So that takes a bit of advanced planning. Just just plant something. You know, when you're planting, you're considering renovating your garden. Plant native plants and plant um, plants that give good year-round cover. And then also put in some trees that have berries on them as well, because birds like starlings and um, the thrushes, and also if you're very lucky, waxwings uh, may come in and feed on berries in your garden, particularly if you have a rowan tree. Um, so that can make a big difference for these birds too. We'll have to do an episode on. Um, maintaining your garden for for birds and wildlife as well definitely in the spring perhaps um plenty of stuff to uh, talk about there i think that's it from us for the for the christmas special i hope uh, everyone has enjoyed it as much as i have listen very happy christmas to everybody who's listening to us thanks for all your support over the past year as well we've been getting great feedback on the podcast it's been a real thrill to do it we're looking forward to the next uh, uh, the, the next series of it uh, as soon as we get get that in the can just to say as well of course that we in birdwatch ireland we're, we're a charity and we rely on on the support of nature lovers like yourselves listening to this to help us keep going to make sure that we can do all the conservation work for the birds christmas is almost on us if you're looking for a last minute gift maybe you forgot to get someone for something uh, present for someone or you're looking for for a special treat um, Birdwatch Ireland membership you can get gift membership at Birdwatch Ireland go to birdwatchireland.ie and you can sign someone up there and also if you're looking for a New Year's resolution for yourself well maybe it could be to join Birdwatch Ireland and do a bit to help support so I would recommend people do that Uh, and uh, we'll we'll see you all at some point in the new year really looking forward to that very much and so just to conclude by saying uh, In Your Nature is made in partnership with the Heritage Offices of Leash and Offaly County Councils with the support of the Department of Housing Local Government and Heritage the National Biodiversity Action Plan and the Heritage Council and this podcast is edited by Anne-Marie Kelly thanks Anne-Marie Happy Christmas everyone